0: Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning back in. Um, This is the Molly Williams podcast. And this week, I am sharing a sermon that I preached at Vineyard um, Christian Fellowship in Barstow. And I hope you enjoy. Gabby, thank you so much for your promises we thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We ask that you just um, we ask that you just fall here in this place, God. I ask that you guide my words more than I can guide my words, God. I ask that you open up hearts, God, and till the soil of hearts, God, so that um, any rocky areas are being tilled by your hand now, God. I ask that everything that we do here this morning be continued worship and praise to you, God, whether it's speaking, whether it's giving, whether it's singing, God. I ask that you just see it all as worship and our offering to you, God. We love you so much, and um, we're ready to see your word in your son's name. We pray, Amen. Okay, so I want to talk um, a little bit into Genesis 17, and. Um, Genesis 17 is where God makes the covenant with Abraham, and I want to go all the way um, back there. He makes the covenant covenant with Abraham that that Abraham is going to have nations, that he's going to have descendants, and that everybody who blesses Israel, because Israel came from Abraham, will be blessed. So I'm going to go ahead and read um, Genesis 17, 1 through 19, and I'll be bopping around a little bit um, with Scripture, but Genesis 17 is... Um, If you want to camp out, you can camp out there. If you take notes, I'll let you know um, the other places I go. So um, Genesis 17 says, um, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram, but it will be, your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and make the nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of God of your offspring after you and you and to you and your future offspring i will give the land where you're residing all the other land of canaan as a permanent possession and i will be their god um i think this is interesting because um i want to talk a little bit about how god is generational God, He permeates generations. It wasn't just enough that Abraham, uh, he gave his promise to Abraham, and then Abraham could just walk into the Canaan land and here's Israel, and then and then it's just done. He didn't he chose not to do that because our God loves relationships. He loves mother-daughter relationships, father-son relationships, mother-son, father-daughter relationships so much that he decided to permeate through space and time to show that he was not anything but um, transcendent. And so um with this, I challenge our hearts this morning to think about what do we do with the promises that God has given us? So this was a promise that was directly given to Abraham for the, um, for the nation of Israel. And that's a very literal thing, and I want to keep that separate because that owes reverence in itself. But I want to ask ourselves, what do we do with the promises that God gives us? So I want you to think about a time where God spoke a promise into your circumstance, or maybe even think about what happened before he spoke the word, when he deposited it, and how you responded. Or maybe there was um, a time, maybe there haven't been any promises spoken in your life that you could clearly hear, or maybe you've kind of hoped for something um, that hasn't worked out. And so um, I want to say to you today that the only way to get to God's promise is going through process. And that's exactly what we're going to read about with Abraham today. So the only way that Abraham got, through, got to God's promise was through process. The only way that his descendants are still going to get to his promise of inheriting land and um, being the nation above all nations is through process. This has been about a 2,000-year journey now. And in 1947, they just all they just got their nation back. Like physically, geographically, physically got their nation back. So um, the only way to get to God's promise is through process. So if we let that sink in, I think that too many of us, me myself included, especially, I feel like I'm the first on the list. If we're making a name of lists or a list of names, that too many of us sit down and we wait for the promise to come in, in order to allow ourselves something to hope for. So um, we've been called to ask and to seek and to knock for the promise of God. And just really quickly in Habakkuk 2, 3, it says that for the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and it won't be late. So I guess my my side note encouragement to you is if there's a promise that you have yet to hear, wait, ask, seek, and knock, run after it just like he ran after us so god's God's messy and irresponsible and actually reckless love it doesn't make any sense that God would step down and um, and form himself into a man just to run after people who are going to reject him every single day, but he did it, and that's reckless, and I'm extremely thankful for that so um so this morning, um, as we go through um, the story of Abraham and the Covenant, I want to talk or I want to I have some goals in mind. I'm a teacher, so I usually post my content standards on the board behind me, <laughs> and um, that's usually how I roll, but I don't have a board, and that's not how we are doing things today, so I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. Um, so I want I have this goal in mind that I want to challenge our hearts to see a much larger and generational picture than what is the tendency of our hearts as, as far as God's promises go. I want us to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is first to the Jew and then to, to the Gentile, and that we've actually been grafted into this plan and into relationship with our Father. I want us to glean what we observe in the passages of Scripture and the understanding that in the midst of a multi ethnic and a multi generational truth, we can actually pursue 100% obedience unveiling a vibrant heart before God. I'm going to say that one more time. So, um, that amidst a multi-ethnic, multi-people group, and also a multi-generational, um, truth that we can actually pursue hundred percent obedience, even if we're not accurate at it the entire time. Um, and I want to, I want us to think about like, do we know, do we actually know what God is saying about us? How many times have we actually taken the time to ask God, what are you saying about us? What are you saying about Barstow? Um, what are you saying about my family? What are you saying about my finances? What are you saying about where we're going? Um, have you said everything you have to say? Because I feel like if he has said everything he had to say, then he would just kill me right now and it would be done. Like, it's done. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if we're, if we're not done talking, what is he saying about us? I want us to know what he's saying about us and what he's saying about the vineyard. I want us to know what he's saying about our city, about what he's saying about the um, the eruption of things, even in society right now. I mean, there was another school shooting this week in Texas. It's terrifying. I want us. I want him to tell me when not to send my kids to school. Like if we're just taking it all off, I want him to tell me, don't send your kids to school because something's going to happen. I want him to tell me what to pray for in terms of our nation, in terms of where this whole thing is going. Um, so let's get back into Genesis. I want, to, um, I want to give a little bit of context to chapter 17, where we just read just now. And um, so this whole thing, this whole promise thing <laughs> starts in, um, in chapter 12. And God makes the promise to Abraham. And he, um, he spoke the words of promise to Abraham. He said that he's going to make Abraham a great nation. He said that he'll make his name known. And that everyone on the earth is going to be blessed through Abram. So, in the remaining of the remainder of chapter 12, we see that God told Abraham to move, so that he moved. So he moved. Um, this shows me that Abram had a rich history with God, and although he had a rich history with God, we can't leave out his um, struggle there too. Um, we could very objectively look at this text, we could read, I could sit here and read Genesis 12 through 17 and not see um, any struggle that he had because it just tells, it very categorically tells about events that have happened in Genesis. Um, But if we start to 12 and we actually put ourselves in the picture, we can see that um, Abram actually struggled a whole lot with getting here because you have God actually coming to you and speaking to you, promising you something, and then you're not going to inherit it, you're, you're not, and then understanding that you're not going to live to see this happen, that you're not actually going to see it in your lifetime, even though he lived to be, like, I think, like, 900 or something, am I right, Trent? I don't know, but, like, I should have done my background knowledge, but anyways, like, so, I mean, even though he lived to be, like, way older than, like, 100, and so he wasn't even going to see it in his lifetime, and so, um, So I know that Abraham was hanging on God's every word and he, can we imagine the discouragement that sets in when God tells us something and then says that you're not going to be the one here to inherit it. If he were to say that, um, that like my family, we have financial issues in my family back home. If God were to say, you're never going to have financial issues again, it's going to be um, completely wiped clean. This, um, this curse here is done and then say it's going to be 3000 years from now. Like it's like what? like you know what I mean it's like why okay so I'm just gonna ignore it so my, my heart tendency is it doesn't affect me anyway it affects my descendants so I'm just gonna ignore it but I think that God um, did a really great thing with Abraham when he he kept him in the fight and he kept him going all the way through until we will see it um, come to fruition here within the next um, few years so um, so he. God tells Abraham to move, and he moves, and um, they were going to go to the land of, to the land of Canaan, but what i 'm just paraphrasing at this point um, so i 'm in chapter twelve i 'm thirteen ish um, and so they were going to go there, but due to famine, they had to actually go to Egypt, so him and his family haul all their stuff to Egypt. I don't know if you've moved, but it's the worst thing that you could ever do in the history of, it's awful. Like putting things in boxes, you lose everything. So then you're spending more money trying to buy new stuff. I don't know. It's just the worst. I hate it. I'm done. I'm, I'm living in Barca the rest of my life. I'm not moving anymore. And our little house that has two bedrooms is going to hold all 12 of Trent and I's children and everyone is going to be fine with it. <laughs> so no, moving is the worst. Yeah. Okay. So, um, So due to famine, um, Abram hauled his entire family, all his belongings, to Egypt. And and when they got there, Abram told his wife, Sarai, he said, you have to say that you're my sister because you're really good looking and they're going to want you (laughs) as soon as we get there. I'm I'm dead serious. Um, Not exactly in the words I just said, but (laughs) you're good looking. They're going to want you. The Pharaoh's going to want you. And so you have to say, you're my sister. So regardless of God's promise... Um, regardless of trusting there, he's like, I'm going to take circumstance into my own thing. And even if you are attractive, they are going to want you, but you have to lie on behalf of this. So when they got there, um, Abram and Sarah, his sister Sarah, I put that in air quotes, um, they, they, were, they were taught, they're, they were, um, I'm sorry, they were. They got lots of attention for her being attractive. And they were treated very, very well. So um, after the after Pharaoh found out they were married, this is now in um, chapter 13. After Pharaoh finds out that they're married, um, he says, "Get out, go. You have to leave." Um, so he took his he took his wife and he left. And um, I know that the God's promise is to an entire nation. And I'm not trying to downplay. Um, any of this, but have you ever been on like a family vacation where you have your trip and like three seconds down the road someone's screaming? When someone wants to know if we're there, yes, yeah, someone wants to know. I'm sure everyone who has kids or has had young little kids probably imagine. But um, so this is part of his struggle. It's way worse than what I just painted out to be, and I didn't do a very good job of saying that. Oh, he was just complaining. He wasn't complaining. God gave him a promise. And he thought he was going to go inherit that promise, and now he's rerouted. He's rerouted in Egypt, and now he's coming back, and he's like, now what? Like, now where? Now where do I go? I have no clue. And I thought I had this promise for you. Can you imagine the doubt that is set into his heart, like the doubt that set into his soul? I know that sometimes if I go to, like, a church meeting or something, and I get a word, um, that, like, even when Trent and I first met, he, it was, um, like, the two-year anniversary after my dad had passed, and he gave me a word that um, he was speaking into feelings of loss, and he was praying for feelings of loss, and so I thought I heard God say that the feelings, like, the hurt's gonna go away, so I'm, like, the next day, the hurt wasn't away, and I'm, like, well, you lied to me then, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like now what? So, and that was after a day. I can't imagine moving all of your stuff, your entire family, and now what? So um, So, even more, have you... Have you had a circumstance in your life that didn't actually turn out what it looked like? So um, rather than something happening over a quick period of time, can you think about a time where maybe where you're standing right now doesn't look exactly how you thought it was going to look 10 years ago? Maybe all of your good intentions that you had 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe some things happened and now they don't look like what they're supposed to be looking like right now. Well, I'm here to say if if i if I say if I say all kinds of other stuff and it doesn't get taken I'm here to say that God is committed to the process and everything that he does he everything that he does he sees it through completion, so it may look like a mess now, but it, I promise you it's not going to be a mess, so how do we respond to the promise that God gave us? how are we responding so Back in chapter 13, um, Abram was traveling with a man named Lot. They were relatives. They started fighting. They got separated. I'm still giving you some context. It's really long context, but just bear with me. So... um they get separated. And um, so Abram says, okay, you see everything over there? You can have everything over there, and I'll just split, and I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to walk the opposite direction. And so um, they loved each other very much, I can tell, because in chapter 14, there's battles breaking out. And that's when Abram learned that Lot is in trouble. So he's got to go get him, and he runs in, and he, he, he saves the day, and he, he takes care of him. So after he saves him, um, Abram actually gets blessed by King Melchizedek, and he says um, in Genesis 14, 19 through 20, he says, Abram is blessed by the God Most High, who has handed your enemies over to you. So then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, that's important, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High and blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God the Most High possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave and he gave him a tithe of all. So Abraham ended up giving this king a tithe, one tenth. So I want to highlight some things even in that part. King of Salem. Salem actually means Shalom. Salem is Shalom, so King of Peace, Prince of Peace. Who's the Prince of Peace? It's Jesus exactly. So in um in Hebrews 7, you I encourage you if you want an extension to this lesson or to this teaching, go to Hebrew 7 because um Hebrew 7 talks about how King Melchizedek in this very in this tense, I mean like this is like what? I'm only 24 pages into this whole thing at this point. We're already talking about Jesus. We're talking about how Jesus has blessed is blessing Abraham. So um It said that King Melchizedek wasn't actually a king. That it's actually Jesus. Jesus actually... blessing him and then the part about breaking bread bringing bread and wine that's communion he's he's blessing him with communion There was communion there he um he went and mended something that was that he broke it. like what does that sound like mending things that are broken and and it's I feel like it's only fitting that God would that God would step down and say yes to this and he would absolutely say yes and he would only and he couldn't even wait 24 chapters without coming without Jesus coming down and saying yes to this or 24 chapters, wow, 24 pages in my Bible, probably less than yours, because you probably have, yeah, 15, page 15 in Alyssa's Bible. <laughs> so um, so he says he delivered his enemies into his hand, and this shows me multi-generationalism, and what I mean by that is that um, our God, he, he doesn't want to just last in a generation. I just think of dominoes, right? Like, you set them up, not like actually playing, I don't even know how to play dominoes, but when you actually set them up and it's like, here was a generation who stood for God. And here's a generation who stood for God. And here's another generation who stood for God. And here's another one. And maybe we missed a few, but then here's another one. And now we have all these pillars and like, and I feel like God just very much, (laughs) he, he lives to be the bar that just shoots right through all of them, and he shoots through time, time, he, he's the, he's the keeper of time, he has time in his hands, and so, um, so while, so this, this whole, this prophetic part in Genesis 14, um, shows me that, like, it shows me that God, God wants that more than anything, he doesn't just want to have, give you a good legacy, give you a good legacy, and then give, your kid's a good legacy that's completely separate. He can run right through us, um, right through families, generationally and ethnically. This whole thing is about Israel. Um, it's still very real about Israel. Like the nation that everyone um, that everyone is, that everyone is um, in conflict with of us putting our US embassy there, the very real Israel, nation of Israel, here's its grassroots. And this is where this whole thing started was with its covenant between God and Abraham. So um, if we even fast forward to Psalm um, 21.8, David, um, King David writes about a day when the Lord's going to capture all of his enemies and seize those who hate him. And that directly reflects the passage in um, Genesis 14. So um, like I said, our translations don't really do this justice. If you want um, a little bit of an extension, go to Hebrew 7. And it very clearly says that King Melchizedek is Jesus. And again, I'm going to ask, how are we still responding to God's promises? How are we responding to God's promises? So um, I want to go to um, Genesis 15. Like I said, you could just camp out in um, Genesis 17 if you'd like. But if you want to turn back a page, we got Genesis 15. Um, And I do want to read this. Um, It's not too long, but I want to read this um, just for reference to the covenant. So it says um, in Genesis 15, it says, After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord, what can you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Already doubting. (laughs) Um, now the word of the Lord came to him and this one will not be this one will not be your heir instead one who comes from your own body will be your heir he took him outside and said look at the sky and count the stars if you are able to count them then he said to him your offspring will be that numerous abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness he also said to him i am the Lord who brought you from ur of the chaldeans to give you to this land and possess. He's he's the one who sent him there. But he said, look, God, how can I know that I will possess it? And he said to him, bring me a three-year-old cow, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So what we're peering into right now is we're peering into something that Abraham could understand was cultural ritual of covenant. This was cultural for covenant. Um, So he brought all those animals to him. So he brought all these to him, cut them in half, Laid the pieces opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds in half. The birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, a deep sleep came over Abram, and suddenly great terror and darkness descended on him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know this for certain. Your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does not belong to them, and will be enslaved and oppressed. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. But you will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and it was dark, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch had passed between the divided animals. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, I give this land to your offspring, from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, The Hethites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Gergesites, and Jebusites. So so what they did was they cut these animals in half. God told them to get these animals. They literally cut them in half. You can imagine that there's blood everywhere because he's cutting them in half. Probably not a very sharp knife, I'm assuming, just Mm because of technology. And so he has these bloody animals in between him. And he thinks that he's about to make this covenant with God by his own strength. Do you get where I'm going with this? He doesn't actually partake and actually, he doesn't actually do this. He doesn't actually, he doesn't actually walk through the covenant with him. Instead, it said that a deep sleep fell on him and that a smoking fire pot and a torch representing representing God the Father and Jesus actually walked through. Is this thing cutting out? Am I, am I good? Oh, sorry. It's all right. Pretty loud. I'll just keep going until I die. Um, okay. So, so, um, So, anyways, they have this. He sees the smoking pot, this this torch, walking through and doing this ceremonial covenant with um, with Abram, or not with Abram, with with God, with the Father. And so now Abram is not actually partaking in it; he's not actually doing it. I'm sorry. I'm gonna wait for a minute. Don't need to take it off my face. Why did I do that? Just nervous. Alright, you good? Uh-huh. Are you good? Yes. Okay, perfect. So um, so Abraham Abraham is not actually taking part. He's not actually taking part in this. So um he's watching all this happen. The covenant that's happening is between God and the Father. How how much more perfect can get the, can this be that god and the father are actually making this covenant together that means that abraham didn't make it so abraham can't break it that means that his doubts his struggles can't actually break what this covenant that god is making with an entire nation and we can translate that because we've been grafted in as heirs of the throne because of jesus we have been grafted into this covenant and now we didn't make it so we can't break it so if we think that there's a promise that's been broken I'm sorry to tell you there's no way it's broken because God the Father and God the Son made the covenant and no way it's actually going to be broken. So um, the cultural significance about this is that um, they, they walked through, that God the Father and God the Son represented, walked through this covenant together. It's something that Abram Abraham didn't actually participate in. It's something that he could understand. So um, Abraham's righteousness had no part to play in the fulfillment of these promises. It didn't matter that he um, went ahead and just split from one of his relatives, gave him part of the land, and he said he was going to take another part. It didn't matter that he doubted and was like, all right, you got to act like you're my sister now. But he didn't, it didn't matter because God was the one who made the promise with Jesus, God the Father, and God the Son made the promise together, and that will not be broken. It was sealed in blood. It was sealed in blood then, and then it was sealed on the cross. So um, so the promises that God had made to Abraham, like I said, Genesis 12 says that the Lord appeared to him and said, your offspring will get this land. So he, um, like I had said, mentioned earlier, this land that they were getting, they still technically, they didn't have yet as of about 70 years ago. And so now, um, in very real time, fast forward to this, um, this multi-generational story, um, the, the Israel is now a sovereign nation. It's a sovereign nation as of May 14th, 1947. And now we can see that God is committed to the process and that he's going to give Abraham Israel, he will give it to them. Hands down, he will give it to him. But what does this mean for us? Um, The Bible says that um, he will, that God is going to bless those who bless Abraham and he's going to curse those who curse Abraham and Israel. So, what can we do? Where where do we? How are we responding to His promise between Abraham and um, between Abraham and God? How are we responding to that promise? We can pray for Israel. We can pray for their greatness. We can pray um, for peace over there. We can pray um, for protection. There's a lot going on there, and I know that it seems crazy to put um, something in just Genesis, which is like the creation book, to to something that's happening very real right now. Um, but we can pray for Israel, and we can we. Can bless Israel. Um, and so um, Galatians 3 says, Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by, by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed through you. So because of Israel's blessing, that in turn means our blessing. Um, Romans eleven sixteen 16 through 17 says, Now if the first fruits are holy, so is the whole batch. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild olive branch, were grafted in among them, and have come in to share, the, uh, have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree. So are you kidding me? We actually get to be grafted into this. This whole thing that happened between um, Abraham and God, this, that, the, the grassroots of that story, and then now following Israel all the way through, even to today, we're grafted into that. So that's why we can share into those promises. Um, so the, it's crazy to me that the creator of this entire universe chose to have not just his nation and then every other nation fall and not just to have an underdog story. Although he loves underdog stories, amen. Like I mean I'm one for crying out loud, but he but I mean he um he did he chose not to just have this underdog story of of Israel being a nation and then the United States going down, Israel going down, the UN going down, Russia going down, every part of Africa. He didn't have he didn't actually have it to where we actually fall so that Israel can run. He actually is a God of bringing people up with him. And, and I think that says something incredible about his character that we can relate to. Um, and he did all of this for loved. In Song of Solomon 4.9, it says that you've ravished my heart with just one look at your eyes. So as a bride, as a body, we are ravishing Jesus's heart in a very personal way. We are ravishing Jesus' heart just by trying Like the fact that you walked Into the door today is a very Real representation that you Didn't decide that you were just going to stay Somewhere else and that you've ravished his Heart he's unmoved has anybody Like ugly cried before like Something like like complete like I mean like Like to the point where like I don't know like guys Maybe not makeup but like you where Your eyes are puffy and like and then the next morning They're still puffy and they're still and it's Like and you know like in high school It's like he broke up with me like like, it's that kind of ugly cry, even though it's not a bad thing, but like Jesus, very real. You could just see him like picture this, that he's the fact that you turned your heart to him today. The fact that you said, I'm undone by your love for me. He's ugly crying. He's saying, yes, he's saying, yes, he's saying, so yes, he's so happy about this. And he's just undone, and he's, he's saying, yes, you are, yes, you are, yes, you're turning your heart to me, and I'm my heart's towards you, and yes, I'm completely undone here. And then the undoneness just happens, and then we're all ugly crying, right, like by the end of it. But the fact that the creator of the universe, his son, wants that with us, and wants that with an entire church, just blows my mind. Like We could just leave right now understanding that Jesus loves us that much. He would be willing to do anything for us, and it's done. But he didn't stop there. He has a story that didn't just start in the past. It's continuing to go, and it's going and going and going, and it's going to be going as we learn more about his love for us for forever. Like an actual measured billions of years from now, if I started my timer and for some reason during the rapture it didn't stop, it's going to keep going for billions and billions of minutes And that I'm still going to be worshiping God. I'm still going to be finding out about his love for for me and I think that's incredible so how do we respond to God's promises how are we responding to the things that he's told us through Abraham how are we responding to the things that he's told us today so because he grafted us which are the gentiles because he grafted us into such his into his rich roots um, we can respond in lots of ways like gratitude we can respond in worship we could respond in blessing um, there's a song out right now that says um um only my even my weakest yes. It's something I, only my weakest yes, do you remember right? Do you know what it is, Lisa? I, mean, I know it is, but I <laughs> Yeah, um, so basically is like, basically my weakest yes is my, even, even when my weakest yes right now is my best, he's completely undone by it, he's completely, um, he's completely moved by it, his heart just is wrecked by the fact that we're barely saying yes, even if we can't lift the hand to worship, even if we can't say I have something to be thankful for, just the fact that we're just looking at him, and like, maybe turning to walk away, but we haven't moved, is the fact that it just wrecks his heart, that we're still there, we're still staying there, and, um, just the fact that we're doing this, he calls it success. So um, so about pursuing obedience. Um, in pursuing obedience this way, we um the goal here, like the goal of our what sixty, seventy, eighty, eighty, ninety, one hundred years here on earth is um is to run after Jesus as hard as we can. I know that we've heard a lot that it's it's a marathon, so like you're going to get burnt out if you go so hard, um, if you go so hard so early. But God has unlimited power. He has unlimited strength. He has a wealth that is deeper than anything that I, I'm ever going to dig into in this lifetime. And so I say, sprint it. I say, run it as hard as you can. I say, go after it as hard as you can, because what you'll find is you're going to get exhausted immediately. But that wealth just rises up; it just shoots up like a geyser. Has anyone seen a geyser? It just like shoots up out of the ground. It's just water; it's kind of like a water volcano—a new name for it, I guess. Water volcano. <laughs> so God's water volcano just shoots right up and after, 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 after you've run there and you're exhausted. And so. Um, so um, I want to read this quote. It says that, and this is, I want to kind of focus on this for the remainder of our, of our time here today. It says, power in our life is found in pursuing 100-fold obedience. There are powerful dynamics that occur in the heart when we soberly seek to walk in total obedience. The 98% pursuit of obedience has a limited blessing. And that last 2% positions us to live with a vibrant heart. So 98% obedience commitment is limiting, but when we give God that last 2%, it could be limitless. So we limit what we give to God when we're, um, when we limit what we give to God, we're willing what we can receive and i'm not talking about doing things perfectly every time. I want to be extremely clear about that I'm talking about the moments where you know like our dog is barking and we have to run out the door, and I could choose to either be grateful for everything that God has given me in that moment and and just live and not and not say any um how do you say it Trent you say that I have like words basically well basically words that basically define the moment negatively forever it's very like very cut and dry words that could just they just ruin the moment and it just completely turns off that last two percent towards God or I can choose to just even not even do anything and just walk out and just walk to the car and go or I could choose to um so so not, so not making limiting statements like that, even with our words in that moment, even though I didn't say, yes, God, and drop to my knees and say, oh, because I remember, even though my dog is barking and even though everything is hectic, I'm already 15 minutes late because I always am. Like every time, like I can choose to, I can choose, even though I didn't get down on my knees in that moment and thank him by just saying, I'm not quitting, then that's your 2%. There's your 2%. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to stop this. I'm going to sprint as hard as I can after you. Um, so we have a tendency to receive from God only the capacity that we of which we give to God. So um, we can find ourselves even spending our quiet time with God, and that time is invaluable. And that's when he can speak to us, whether it's in the morning, in the evening, whenever you decide to do it. But having your quiet time with the Lord, um, that's a really good representation of 98%. The 2% happens the 23 and a half hours after that. The 2% is, do I believe what I read? And all I have to do is believe it, even if I'm not walking out. Because God started this whole thing. He's going to make it to where I will be walking it out eventually. And he will be making it to where my 98% plus the 2% of, okay, I'm not going to quit, actually does equal 100. Because his power is much more than anything this, this lame human frame can give anyone. Um, so an example of this is you can have my church life You can have prayers with my family You can have prayers before, um, before we eat lunch, we eat dinner um, You can have all of my relationships I want to have godly friendships But whatever I do in the bedroom, you can't have Or you can have everything except for what I search on my phone you can have everything except for all my com all the Facebook comments that I make. You can have everything except for God. You can have everything, and you, and I don't think we actually think about it this way. I think that's why it's so sneaky, and I think that's why we actually fall so hard into it. Is because you can have everything except for the judgment calls I'm making right now. You can have everything except for when I walk down main street and I see something that could be out of the ordinary and the judgment call that I make just then and there and write an entire homeless person off you can have everything but that because that's a quick moment and and it's gone you can that's what 98% looks like but I just ask and I know that Jesus is asking for 100% obedience Matthew 22 38 39 says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. I think a big tripping hazard for us is other people. And I think that um, what, what makes me, what my human mind tries to think is that as soon as I start loving people well, then I'll be able to do all of the loving God well, when it's exactly the opposite. I can't love all of you well if I haven't loved God well first. And he didn't say... That you shall love your God with most of your mind, most of your soul, and most of your strength. The good majority, even if it is 60%, he didn't say most, he said all. And as legalistic as we can make that, that's not legalistic. He's at, he, he knows that we're not going to do it. He absolutely knows that we're not going to love him as much. As, as much as Jesus loves the Father, we're not going to love the Father as much as Jesus loves the Father. So what he says is he, is he sent his Holy Spirit and he said, talk to me all the time. Talk, let, me, let me dwell within you so that in your human frailty, I can make this most your all. I can make every most that you want to give me, I'll make it your all because I see it to completion. So the last 2% positions us to live with vibrant hearts before God. I love the fact that um, that there's a vineyard in Barstow. Trent and I were even talking about that this morning. Someone said there's a vineyard in Barstow. Someone who was unfamiliar with the area, but and so like, but vineyard has such deep roots, and it's like you like. I didn't hear about. I haven't heard about Barso, and, or not <laughs> Barso, that too. But I didn't know about Vineyard, <laughs> I like up until I knew there were vineyards like around. I thought that maybe it was just like the name of a bunch of churches. But then when I actually got here, when I actually experienced this, there are such deep wells of power. There's such deep wells of healing, and that's and that's in the Vineyard movement, and that's exactly what's here. And I think that if we this last two percent that has already been conquered on these grounds, that has already been conquered right here. I remember even Pastor Phil, and I'm sure all the pastors were in, and even Alyssa, this last 2% that's being given right here allows room for the Holy Spirit to make the God water volcano come up, and it just splashes, and the healing comes, and power comes. And um, so the, 100, the 100% heart doesn't actually leave any space for doubt it doesn't leave any space for the lack of confidence in god's power if i'm confident in the fact that there was a burning pot and a torch representing god and god god the father and god the son making the covenant together my hand can't mess that up <laughs> like i physically can't mess up abraham's can't, hand couldn't mess that up he couldn't mess any of it up and just like the covenant that god made with abraham Um, This entire thing doesn't even hinge on our righteousness or 100% accuracy. It hinges on 100% position towards him. So I am just a personal story. Even I used to live life thinking that this whole thing was a game of like one step forward, one step back. Like you went to church today, you got a step forward. You, you met with Holy Spirit today. That's a step forward. And then like you went home and like, I don't know, like someone called you and you just start talking trash about someone or, or like, or you make a judgment call or whatever. And then it's like, nah, okay. Broke even. It's been a good day. You know what I'm saying? Like that's that's the life that I've lived. That that's literally and I think that if I'm if we're all being honest, I think that's the life that we've all lived at one point. And um I just I used to think that it was all about gaining ground and losing ground and gaining ground and losing ground. And there are very real things about gaining ground with your heart. But I think that that's more towards gaining ground with the position that you're giving to God, not gaining ground with the accuracy that you're giving to God. So um, when, when my dad died, I was in absolute, absolute shock. Um, I was student teaching at the time, and people started texting me saying... Hey, like let me know if you need anything. And I had no clue anyone was talking about. And my family was trying to get to me. They were two hours away. And I didn't know what was happening. So it literally caught me like completely off guard. He was completely healthy. I hadn't talked to him for ten whole days before it happened, before I found out that he he had passed away. And um, so the life I lived up until that that moment. Was sinning, repenting, sinning, repenting, just spinning my wheels in mud, spinning our wheels in mud. I think we do that a lot, where we spin our wheels in mud thinking that. If I'm sinning, then I can repent and we kind of break even. And breaking even is such a good thing in Western culture, right? Like you, when you're making a business, you <laughs> buy the building, you buy the supplies, you buy the resources, you pay the people. And then when, um, when profit comes in, you break even and that's such a great thing. And that's ingrained into us that breaking even is good. But I want to challenge us to say that breaking even is not as good as we think it is. <laughs> I want to challenge us that... Um, that Jesus' blood makes it so that we're 100% profitable. And we're 100% profit there. Um, so after being shaken to the core of me, I was able to lay hold of the person who was terrified. I was God was able to lay hold of a person who was terrified, who didn't know what was going to happen next. I was indestructible before my dad had passed, that it really scarred me, I was like, I mean, I could do anything, I would drink all the time, because like, whatever, like, I'm indestructible, and this body's not going to pass, because I love the Lord, and I'm going to live forever, that's literally our, that's literally my life, and I say that, I say that lightly, because it is such a joke that that, that, that we can live like that, it is kind of a joke that we can, that we can live like that, because Because looking back now and understanding that when I was giving 98% in those moments that I was accessing God's power, and I was I was aware that God loved me, and I was aware that it happened. Just kind of like we're aware of what the weather is outside right now, like we're aware of it, and maybe we dress for it. But when you position your entire heart towards it, like if I if I plan my day in mind with wanting to know if it's gonna rain, <laughs> that I'm gonna bring an umbrella, <laughs> and if I if I position my heart towards the forecast and I say, like this doesn't happen here because it's just always sunny and windy. But like if I if I Position my heart towards the forecast and I and I think um, and I want to know what's gonna happen. I want to know is it gonna rain? Is it gonna be sunny? Then I'm prepared for it, and I can also receive it. I know it's a weird analogy trend, don't yell at me later, but um, but what I'm saying is like when you're when you're aware of the fact, when you're you can be aware of God's love, we can hear about it day in and day out. We can we can say that we're Christians, we can check mark the conservative box on Facebook, we can we can just be very um we can be very open and being like, yes, we, I know, I know that I'm, I know that God loves me, and I know that God loves you, and it's a crazy world out there, and I'm just going to pray for it because it's not going to get any better. Like, God calls us, he pounded through generations, he went directly through generations so that we would be actually impacted with the fact that he loves us, be actually impacted with the fact that he made this covenant with with this Jewish guy, like this Jewish man, like I literally am not related to him. I'm not Jewish. Like, and I I bet you, like I'm German and Irish. Like there's no way that like any part of me is related to, is related to Abraham. But I actually get to partake in this because of what Jesus did. And because the fact that the Bible says I am grafted in. And when you graft something in, there's scars for a minute, but then you can't even tell that it's not even a part of it anymore. And that's what God wants to permeate with us. Um, today. So Philippians 1 6 says that he who started a good work will see it to completion. And even though I'm not doing this all correctly, even though um, there may be holes in my story right now, um, even though there's holes in my life right now, um, it's not complete. He's going to see it through to completion and it's going to be completed the day that um, I die and then I'm resurrected in him. Um, so he's seeing it all the way through completion. So if your life is a mess right now, then you're on track. Like, <laughs> if, you, if you feel like things are a mess right now, you're completely on track because God is committed to the process. He's not scared with how much that you've failed. He's not scared with how deep you've gone. He's not scared about the fact that you've made good intentions right now and you're going to mess up again. He's not. He's not scared about messing up over and over and over again. He's more concerned about a heart that, is, that, gets, that just gives him no obedience in one moment and then turns to him and says, but you love me. But why would I choose that you love me? Why would, wh- this is happening to me. Why, how can I choose to be crushed when you love me? How can I choose to be anything but standing right now just in your presence because you love me? How can I choose anything else how can I choose to um, listen to what people say I'm supposed to be acting like when this happens? How can I choose to buckle under financial pressure? How can i choose How can I choose any of this because realistically, if you're just thinking, if we completely take scripture out of this, like you're gonna die and like yeah, I mean, like I know that, I know that sounds, but like it's, it's all gonna pass. I guess is what I'm saying. The more tactical way of saying it's all gonna pass. Everything, every bit of this will pass. Alyssa, your degree was an extreme accomplishment. and That's amazing. It's gonna pass. My degree is gonna pass. Any education that anyone did here is gonna pass. But our heart posture towards God is a jumping ground. Is a, is a, is a springboard into eternity. The way that we loved Him in these 70 years, 70, 80, 90, 100 years are gonna be the springboard in which we get to start learning about him again in eternity so although that there are very real deadlines and although there are very real things that have to happen i have to feed myself or i'm going to die but it's all going to pass every bit of it is going to pass so we can act on the positioning of our hearts um, towards the reach for full obedience and activating the power of the holy spirit that he wants to work through so um if you want to you can, yeah. so ultimately you, <laughs> no, yeah, go for it. you're on the right track, right? <laughs> just kidding. So ultimately, um, success in this area of obedience, I feel like obedience is like the bad O word sometimes. Um, just like I can't be obedient I'm, and we find ourselves um, we find ourselves saying like, oh, I'm covered by grace like so I, it's okay that I'm not obedient and although it's, although that you're covered by grace like That heart posture is still your most. It's not your full. And so um, ultimately, the success in this area of obedience and the area of positioning our hearts 100% towards Him is found in the completion. Of God's covenant with us, it's not found about anything that I, my hand can do. It's not found in any calling that we have. It's not found in in the amount of people we see saved. It's not it's not found in what we do with our work. It's not found in um, how well we've guided our families. It's it's not found in the legacy that we leave behind because that's going to pass too. It's found in the completion of God's covenant with us. And as we saw in Abraham, with Abraham, that. God the Father and God the Son made a covenant, and it was completed when Jesus died on the cross. He went ahead and sealed it in his blood. The significance behind separating the animals and walking through them is the fact is um, is that the cultural significance in that is that um, if something if if one party was to break the covenant then what was done to the animals must be done to you. So if, if Abraham, let's just switch the story for a minute, if Abraham had to walk through these animals and obviously assuming he's human, he's going to fail, then Abraham will be ripped in part and we have no story. Abraham will just be cut in half and we probably wouldn't be reading about him. But that's not what happened and that's not obviously it's not what happened. But so um, when Jesus died on the cross, when he was ripped apart, He took the break of covenant. He took it for us and it's being redeemed in new covenant.